0: Thank you to Barb and the team here for leading us in in worship. You know, the the dream of a perfect romance is alive and well. And I know this is true because of the movies that keep coming out. Okay, there's there's a guy's version of the perfect romance and there's a girl's version of the perfect romance. Okay, so for the guys, it's the action movie. You, You may not have known that that's a romance, but it typically is. Because the way that goes is you have the, a guy who is saving the world, and along the way he gets the girl. Okay, so somewhere in there there's a girl, they kiss, you know, and it, everything's great. Now the girl's version of the movie is known as a chick flick. Okay, in chick flicks, nothing actually happens but there's a guy and a girl, and they, they, they meet. It's unlikely that they're going to get along, but they do. They fall in love, then some awful obstacle happens. It looks like they're going to break up, whatever. But in the end, they work it out, and they live happily ever after. Okay, that's the, that's the girl's version. Now, the problem with both of those movies, the reality is that the movie ends long before real life kicks in. You know, like you never see them paying bills, or taking out the trash, wiping the baby bottom. You know, you don't see any of that stuff and how you have to grapple with real life. And the truth is that life takes a toll on relationships. And that sometimes the people that we thought we knew, and we thought we loved, and we wanted to spend the the rest of our life with, sometimes they surprise us. And sometimes the, the guy who looked like Prince Charming turns out to be like just this selfish, self-absorbed slob and everything's about me. And the girl who we thought was the girl of our dreams turns out to be a nag because all of her dreams are not coming true. And what we hoped was going to be a perfect romance actually ends up in, in brokenness and then we see relationships that are falling apart. And I, at at this point, I could share statistics with you about how many marriages break up and you you really don't need the statistics because I suspect that you have been touched by the brokenness of relationships in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Your own relationship perhaps is broken up or someone close to you, you've watched that happen. You don't need statistics to tell you about that. But you know, we, we love the idea of a strong, fulfilling, lasting marriage. Sherry and I, early on in, in our relationship, we, we went to see a counselor because we were hitting some bumps in the road, and I, I'll never forget, he painted this picture for us of a future where as we learn how to work through the problems in our life and how to how to weather the storms that one day we would sit on our front porch in our rocking chairs and our grandchildren would be playing in the yard and I thought what a compelling picture to shoot for that we would go the distance and what's interesting about this is this is actually our our front porch we for the first time in our lives we actually have a front porch we actually have rocking chairs no grandchildren yet and we're not rushing that part of it but we're on our way 20 years in, and, and praise God, he's given us grace to, to kind of work through things and weather storms. That's what we hope would be true. We love that idea of a strong, enduring marriage, I think, because God planted that idea in us. See, God designed marriage. God intended for marriage to be something wonderful for us to provide companionship, a teammate to go through life with. God is the one who invented it, and so he knows how marriage works best. Our culture has come along, and our culture has said, let's change the rules for marriage. And so one simple example of the way our culture has changed the rules is to say, you know what, marriages really don't need to last or go the distance anymore. And so some decades ago, we invented, came up with the idea of no-fault divorce. And so we don't really even have to have a good reason anymore. If I just am not getting along and we can't seem to work it out, then we just can go our separate ways. And, and our culture has redefined it that way. And too often we have bought into that as, as well. But, but Scripture tells us, and, and you may be here this morning, by the way, you may be here, maybe you're here for the first time and somebody drug you here and, and you're not sure what you're going to hear and you're not sure you buy into all this Bible business and stuff, but I would say to you, I would just suggest, and I would ask you, you know, you're, you're sitting here, unless you're going to get up and walk out, you're going to be here for the next couple of minutes here, so I would just ask you to consider the question, is the way our culture handling and approaching marriages, is that working? How well is that working? Isn't it possible that maybe there's a better way for marriages to last and go the distance if we know how to do it? So in a world, into a world of broken relationships, Scripture tells us that a strong, fulfilling, lasting relationship is still possible, but we're going to have to walk a different path then our culture walks. We're going to have to do it God's way. Let's see what God's way is. If you would take a Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, uh, you can use one of those on your seats. Or if you've got a smartphone, you can look up version. I do encourage you to to look this up and have this in front of you this morning so that this is not just me coming up with these ideas, but this is really what God has preserved for us as the way marriages work. Now, I will tell you as you're turning there that this passage that we're going to look at this morning is probably one of the most unpopular passages in all of Scripture. Okay? This is one of the passages that people who, who don't really believe the Bible, don't really respect it, this is one of the passages that people would look to and say, this is the reason why we don't believe the Bible. It's so out of touch outdated. It doesn't fit with our culture. And so you just need to know that going in. And if if that's where you're at this morning, then I'm very glad you're here and glad that you're willing to at least hopefully listen to a little bit of what we're talking about this morning. And I'll leave it to you after you've listened to what we talked about to decide if there's anything valuable at all in, in what we're talking about here this morning. There's another group of people I know who are here who are single. Okay, So you're single either on the front end or maybe you're single again. So this is still worth listening to because odds are for most of you that someday in the future you will be married again. And so this gives you something to look for, to work on in your own life, and to look for as a dynamic with another spouse, with somebody that you're going to spend your life with. Now that leaves the rest of us who actually Are married. If you're here this morning and you're married, I just I just want to say this up front. Okay, I want to declare this an elbow-free zone. Okay, because what you're going to be tempted to do, I'm going to talk to wives first, not I. Scripture is going to talk first to wives and then to husbands, and you're going to be so tempted as you listen to if, if you're a husband listening to what I'm saying to wives, you're going to be so tempted to nudge. Hey, are you listening to this? Yeah, quit doodling on your. On your uh, bullets in there and, and tune in. Okay, you're gonna be so tempted to do that. Um, wives, you're gonna be so tempted when, when I'm talking to husbands to nudge him awake. Hey, wake up, buddy. Listen to this. This is feet. You're gonna be so tempted to do that. I, I just wanna tell you this morning, I'm gonna say something that you'll probably never hear me say again. I'm gonna give you permission this morning to tune me out while I am talking to the other group. Okay, so while I'm talking to wives, The words there for wives are really just for the wives. Okay, so husbands, this is your ticket. You can tune me out, play on your phone, think about your schedule for the week, whatever. Okay, I'll get your attention. I'll be sure to call you back in when it's time for you. Okay, and wives, vice versa. Okay, but this is elbow-free zone as as we go into this this morning. Now, first, we're going to start with some words to all of us. okay. We're going to start in Ephesians 5, verse 21, and we're starting in the middle of a sentence. So I'll explain that in just a moment. But Ephesians 5:21 says, "Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ." Okay, What this verse is, this is the end of a list of expressions of how we are filled with God's spirit. How we are controlled by God's Spirit. If we go back to verse 18, we we looked at this verse if you were here last week. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay. So being filled with the Spirit is really the command here. And then it's followed by a list of expressions of what it looks like. To be filled with the Spirit. And the end of that list is verse 21. It says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what we have here, before we ever get to any words to, to husbands and wives, what we have here is a call to us to yield. First of all, in verse 18, to yield to the Spirit, to God's Holy Spirit. So it's what, what he's telling us is don't be drunk on wine. Don't don't turn over control of your mind, heart, decisions to whine. But turn over control, submit your decisions to God's Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 21 to submit to what? Who? One another. So first we're looking up to God the Holy Spirit and yielding to him. Then we're submitting to one another. So I want to use the word yield here instead of submit this morning. Same idea, same concept of yielding to another person. What happens, what happens or what is supposed to happen when you're driving and there's a yield sign? There's two lanes merging together. One lane is told to yield to that other lane. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stop. If somebody's coming, you stop and you let the other person go first. You're supposed to pause and say, no, this, I'm, I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to let you go first. That's what yielding is. That's the idea of submitting. Now, I have noticed as we have moved to this part of the country that people don't like yielding to other people when they are driving. And the truth is that we don't often like to yield to other people in anything. And yet what God calls us to is, number one, to yield to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 21, he says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now what he's going to do is he's going to go on and he's going to to apply this specifically to wives and then to husbands. He's going to talk about what it looks like for a wife to yield to her husband, and you may be surprised by this, he's going to talk to husbands about what it means for you to yield and prefer and honor your wife. See, one thing we need to remember and keep in mind, when we become a follower of Jesus, my life is no longer about me. My life is no longer me in the driver's seat, calling the shots, getting to do everything I want to do. If I'm going to follow Jesus, what that means is he's going first. And I am following, I am yielding, I am submitting my will to his. What do you want me to do, Jesus? So I'm, fo- I'm following, I'm yielding to him first. Then I'm yielding to others in my life. And then as as we turn to marriage, we're yielding actually to our spouse. And so what I want to suggest to you this morning is that strong marriages start with yielding. Strong marriages start with yielding. That's where it begins. Yielding to the Holy Spirit first and then to your spouse. Let's see how Paul applies this to wives, and then to husbands. Okay, husbands, here's the point. If you want to tune out, you can go ahead, nod off, take a nap, whatever. Talking to wives here for a few minutes, I'll call you back. Okay, so verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So what does yielding look like for a wife? It looks like submitting to your husbands. It looks like subjecting your own will to your husbands. Now, let's be honest. This is a scary thing for you ladies. This is a scary thing to think about doing because we live in a broken world because we live in a world where men like to take advantage of women and the thought that must come into a lot of women's minds when they read this is so so what you're telling me is you want me to be a doormat what you're saying is you want me to just check my brain at the door You know, when we get married, just have a lobotomy, and then I don't have to think anymore. My husband's just going to call the shots. I'm going to do everything that he wants me to do. I'm sure that that happens way too many times. And I'm sure that there are men who men who read this and think. I know the men aren't listening anymore, but men read this and think, "Oh, good. Now I get my own way. Now I get to do what I want." But that's really not the point. Of, of this passage at all. That's a misuse. That's a misunderstanding of what our roles are, okay? But let's be clear, okay, as we're talking to wives. We'll come back to that, believe me, in a moment about uh, a husband's role here. But, but we need to be clear that this really is God's will for wives, and I know this because it gets repeated over and over again in the New Testament. Let's put up some other verses here on the screen in Colossians three eighteen, it says, "Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord." Titus two says, "Train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled." And then First Peter three says, "Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives." Okay, so it's repeated over and over again. We can't get away from it. So what we need to do is understand what is it actually telling us. What does it look like for a wife to be subject, submissive, yielding to her husband? Well, the first thing I would, I would encourage you to, to realize as we talk about these verses is that it's talking about your husband. This is not a call to women to be subject to men in general, Okay, so if we can go to the next slide, you'll see this in every one of these verses, including in Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands. Be submissive to your own husbands. Be subject to your own husbands. This is talking about the realm of your home. So, ladies, if you are in a job where you oversee other men, that's okay. This, This doesn't have any bearing on that at all. Okay, this this has bearing on the home setting because God has set up specific roles for each of us to have. He has given authority to different people. This is inside the home and outside the home. God has given authority for the purpose of establishing order. And so we we see this in the home with parents and children. Or hopefully we see this in the home with parents having authority and children. Hopefully we see that parents exercise their authority for the sake of keeping their children in order, okay? And helping them, helping mold them, shape them, okay? So God has established authority, and and the parallel here that we see is that in verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body and is himself its Savior. So we see a parallel here. He keeps drawing a parallel between Christ and the church. What we see with Christ and the church is not that the church is a doormat, not that the church has no life or or opinions or ideas or giftedness, but that in the end, the church subjects itself to Christ's authority. In fact, the reality is that Christ invests the church with gifts and and, uh, ideas and people who, who have ways of doing things. In fact, what we find in the New Testament with the church is that Christ gives the church a mission and then he gives us tons of freedom to figure out how to carry out that mission. He gives us a mission to say we want to produce more fully devoted followers of Jesus But he gives us tons of freedom to to see how that comes about. He says, church, use your giftedness. Use your creativity to figure out how to carry this out. Far from stifling, he's saying, I want to bring out your life. And and this is the way it should be with husbands and wives. Far from stifling a wife, share your opinions. Express yourself. You see things in a different way, sometimes a better way, than your husband sees them. Please share those things And bring that to the table, but with an attitude of saying, in the end, I'll go your way on this. I'm going to trust your leadership in in this. Basically, what God has done is he's he's established, he's given the husband the tiebreaker vote. Okay? and. Some husbands are going to look at that and misuse that and, and many husbands are going to look at that and say, well, isn't that a privilege? Aren't I great? You know what the reality of that is? And I know you husbands aren't listening, but if you are, the reality of that is, that is a responsibility more than it is a privilege. Because we can go all the way back to Genesis 2, and we're going to do this uh, next month as we start a series back into Genesis. We can go all the way back to Genesis 2, actually Genesis 3, when the first sin enters the world, and Genesis 3 tells us that that enters through Eve, through the woman, but when God comes to bring accountability, who does he call out to? He calls out to Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? And where were you? And what's going on here? He's holding the man accountable. That is a heavy responsibility. And when it's being carried out properly, ladies, it should bring rest to your soul. When a husband is leading well, you should feel at peace. And you should say, I'm so glad. I don't have to bear the weight of this. That's the ideal That's what God is calling us to. One more thing I want you to notice before we turn to husbands. Verse 22 again. Wives, submit to your own husbands. What does it say? As, help me, as to the Lord. Okay, so submit to your husbands as you would submit, as you are submitting to the Lord. Our yieldedness, remember, first is to the Holy Spirit, and then our yieldedness is to our husband. So here's what this means. Your act of submitting yourself to your husband's leadership is an act of trust ultimately in God. God, you're the one that set this up this way, so God, I'll do it your way. And you may need to pray an honest prayer like this every now and then. I'm sure not often, but every now and then. God, my husband wants to do something really dumb. So God, I'm going to honor you. I've expressed my opinion respectfully. And um, But I'm going to honor you. I'm, I'm afraid of what he's about to do. I'm afraid of this financial decision he's about to do. I'm afraid of this decision about our house or whatever it is. I'm afraid about that color that he picked or whatever. I don't know, the color car he picked. I don't, I'm afraid of the decision that he's making. But God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to trust you with this outcome. I'm going to trust you to protect me in this. Because I'm being obedient to you as I understand that obedience. And so would you work good out of this, even if I think it's not the best decision? Okay, husbands, now, okay, if you have not been listening, this is your turn. Okay, wives, you can tune out for a few minutes. Husbands, let's read, starting in verse 25. Husbands, lead your wives with strong authority and be sure to manage them in all things. Does yours say that? No. Yeah, no, mine does not say that either. Isn't it interesting that God calls the wife to submit? He does not call the husband to lead, but he calls him to do something different. Husbands, what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, God does not call the husband to lead. He calls the husband to love. And he calls the husband to love sacrificially. So what yielding looks like for the husband is to sacrifice. He says, to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ give himself up for the church? He gave himself over to suffering, and he gave himself over to death. And so if you look at it this way, wives get off easy. Wives are asked to submit. Husbands are asked to die. Husbands are asked to die to themselves and to put their wife first, which is very, very difficult for for some of us. See, any decisions, any leadership that a husband exercises is to be in the best interest of his wife. Not in his own self-interest. It's to be in the best interest of, of his wife. And he is to lead her into beauty and wholeness and Christ likeness. That's what he's describing here in 26 and 27. That he might sanctify her, cleansing her, washing her, that that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. See, the goal of a husband's leadership should be to bring out the best in his wife, to bring out her beauty and her wholeness and her Christ likeness. It takes time. For us men to learn how to die to self, that's a, it's a tall order, honestly. It's a lifelong pursuit. So Paul goes on and he's, he gives another, he kind of brings it down a little bit to, a little bit more to our level in verse 28. Maybe we can wrap our heads around this just a little bit more. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So, one way we can describe the love of a husband for his wife is to say it's a sacrificial love, like Jesus giving up his life for the church. That's huge, and that's heavy, and that's a lifelong pursuit. Another, maybe a little more uh, understandable way to express that is to say, I just need to love my wife as I love myself. All the energy that I put into taking care of myself, I want to I channel some of that, direct some of that to my wife. So he uses two specific words here in verse 29. Nourish and cherish. He, he says that a man nourishes and cherishes his own body. So that word nourish is, as you might expect, it has to do with like feeding yourself, okay? Nourishing yourself. So he says You know, men know how to nourish themselves. Typically, most men I've met, they know how to feed themselves. And they really like to be fed, honestly. This week, we had a birthday in our family, my oldest daughter. And so we went out to eat. And uh, so we're sitting there. We had this really nice dinner. We kind of went around while we're eating. And we always take time to say, what do we appreciate about the person whose birthday it is? So we're doing all that. Our our dinner's kind of winding down. And most everybody else is done eating except for me. Still have a couple of bites on my plate. So the server comes, and he's clearing away plates. And he goes, literally, I was going for a bite, and he starts taking my plate away. And I have to confess to you, even in public, I, I feel very unpastorally in a moment like that. <laughs> Like, do not come between between me and my food. I still had, like, a bite of hamburgers, couple French fries here. And I'm like, and I, I know that I looked at him, and I, it just it probably didn't, didn't look good. And so I was like, I'm not done. And, and so uh, he quietly went away, and I was finishing my food. And my other daughter was sitting across from me, and she said, Dad, I think he was new. You know, I think this was probably, like, his first time here. So she's kind of like, go easy on him, you know taking away food but see men we like to nourish ourselves we like to know how to take care of ourselves we we know how to take care of ourselves when we have an injury you know we we want to nurse that and and get back to full health we know how to get our rest and Paul says all of that that way that you direct energy to yourself and take care of yourself so well direct some of that to your wife nourish her Make sure that she has what she needs, not just physically. Make sure emotionally, spiritually, in every area of her life, make sure that her needs are met, not just your own. Make sure that she feels cherished. That, that word in the Greek actually literally means to warm Okay, so make sure that your wife is warmed up. Now, I, I know right now we, we want to cool off because it's like 95 outside, feels like 110, all that. Think about winter time. okay? Think about how good it feels to have a warm blanket. And Paul says, husbands, make sure your wives have the warmth that they need. Again, physically, emotionally, spiritually, Can I just dare say to some of you husbands right now that you are neglecting your wife from nourishment? You're keeping nourishment from your wife. And that's not what God is pleased with. That's not what God wants you to do. Can I dare say to some of you husbands that your wife is shivering emotionally because you are not warming her? You are not meeting her needs. You are not loving your wife. You are not carrying out your role as a husband. This is what God calls us to. Strong marriages start with yielding. See, God calls us to oneness. Verse 31 says, therefore, it's quoting Genesis 2, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They're so united together, so close, such a team, that they care about each other's needs and are forwarding each other's needs, submitting, yielding to each other because they want their, the other one's good. And God also intends that our marriages would be a picture of, of the relationship between Christ and the church. Verse 32, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So ideally when our marriages are being carried out the way God called us to, our marriages are picture of the way Christ loves the church and the way the church is to interact with God. Strong marriages start with yielding. Paul ends with this great summary. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Really, these are examples of serving each other, and that's part of our strategy as a church as we talk about us becoming more fully devoted, more fully committed followers of Jesus. That serving is a piece of that. That we're not just looking to get. We, we don't want to just go into a marriage looking to see what I can get out of it. But what can I give to, to the other person? There's so much more uh, that we could say we don't have time to get into related to marriage. But I do have good news for you. And that is that this fall we are launching a new marriage ministry. And so Pastor Chuck is going to talk about that in several weeks And we're going to have a class that starts on Sunday morning in October. We're going to have a a date night uh, that you can sign up for and come as spouses to in October. Because what we want to do as a staff and as leadership in the church is we we want to help you succeed in your marriage. We want to help you strengthen your marriage. uh, Oftentimes we encounter encounter couples on the end when they're having problems. And so when already you've hit those bumps in the road, and we're trying to help you over those bumps in the road, and we we will continue to do that, and we're glad to help you do that, glad that you reach out for that help. But we also want to be proactive on the front end and say, how can we help strengthen marriages from the get-go so that they never even get to those points where it's so difficult? So that's going to be the goal of the marriage ministry that is starting this fall, so watch for more details about that. But I want to end this morning with a question and a challenge for each of our groups that we've talked to this morning, okay? So first, a question for you wives. This is a question for you to ask yourself. How can I honor my husband's leadership? How can I do better at honoring his leadership? So, and here's a very specific thing I'm going to challenge you to do. Over the next 24 hours, I want to encourage you to watch for some situation that comes up where you may just have a different opinion, different idea than your husband does. And I want to encourage you, go ahead and express your opinion, your ideas, your desire for whatever that situation is. Go ahead and and let that be known respectfully. Respectfully. But then I want you to tag on to the end of that. But I will go with what you think is best. I'll, I'll go your way on this, whatever you think. And then you may need to pray over that. You may need to be careful because if your spouse has a heart condition, you may just need to, you know, temper this. And you know, this could be a, you know, really radical thing. But anyway. That's for wives. Okay, so husbands, here's a question for you to ask. How can I meet the needs of my wife ahead of my own? What need can I meet for her that may require a sacrifice on my part? How can I better nourish and cherish her? So, over the next 24 hours... I want you to watch for an opportunity and seize an opportunity. How can I put her first and put her needs first? I'll end this by saying something that's obvious, but I think it needs to be said. And that is that this dynamic is easiest. This dynamic between a husband and wife is easiest when both of them, both of you, are working at this. That's not always going to be the case. Right. I mean, some of you are in that situation and some of you have a spouse that could not care less about what the Bible has to say about anything, especially not this. What you need to know if you're in that situation is God still calls you to your role. Remember, you, you just listen to those verses that are directed to you because our submission first is to the Holy Spirit and to do what he's asking us to do, and to trust him with the outcome. Your spouse may never change, but I hope they do. Your best chance for your spouse to change is if you're doing what God is calling you to do. And that requires a deep trust in what God is asking of you. It requires a deep yieldedness. But in the end, that's what God is calling us all to do in every area of our life. So this is just another opportunity to practice. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you know what is best in the area of marriage. And and I look around at the marriage advice that comes on talk shows and in magazines, and it's so varied and it's so different. And I'm thankful to be able to come back to your word that is everlasting. And uh, Lord, even though it's hard many times to submit to your will, in the end we discover that it really is for our best. And I pray for the husband and the wife who is here this morning, who is really struggling with these words and really struggling with what the other person is doing. And Lord, I just just ask, I'm just asking you right now that you would speak to their hearts. They don't need to hear what I have to say. They need to hear what you have to say. That you would speak to their hearts, soften their hearts, speak encouragement to them, speak strength into them so that they may be obedient, first of all, to you because their first obligation is to you. And then, Lord, I pray that you would bring about, out of these words and out of this passage and out of your directives, out of obedience, I pray that you would bring about a richness in relationships, even in this room, that we can't even imagine at this point, because we know that when we're obedient to you, that in therein is is really fullness of life, and we're doing what you've asked us to do. So give us strength to do that. Thank you, Jesus, for sacrificing yourself so that you could purify us as a church. May we be more and more pure for your sake each day, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.